man, I guess that means I got to preach. I'm telling you. You know, I was glad to hear y'all were doing dinner on the grounds. I'm, um, I'm from Wahoo Baptist Church, and uh, we have a saying there, when Baptists meet, chickens die, right? And that's what we talk about. Cause, so when I heard you were doing dinner on the ground, I figured, now we are having fried chicken. You, got, you can't have a Baptist meal without having some fried chicken. So anyway, I, um, I was excited yesterday. I had a chance to sit down with um, your, your pastor and uh, Richard and Brandon and, and, and Chad and Doug was there. And um, I had a chance to meet with your leaders and we were talking about church revitalization. And the reason that is such a passion on my heart 10 years ago, matter of fact, this month is my 10th anniversary at Wahoo Baptist Church. I've been there 10 years. I came to that church 10 years ago with 30 people and hardly any money in the bank. And when they voted on me, um, one lady voted against me, and Dr. Charles Roselle said, why did you vote against the new pastor? And he said, because we can't pay him. I mean, that's literally what they said. And so we have literally uh, gone through church revitalization, and uh, I had an opportunity to uh, write a book during uh, just before COVID and, and meet a, a man by the name of Sam Rayner, who is Tom Rayner's son, and I had a chance to actually uh, uh, write this book and meet with Sam, and then I became a church consultant during 2020, while everybody was locked down and during COVID, uh, I decided to become a church consultant and try to help churches in the revitalization process. And here is why. I was sharing with your staff yesterday, 65% of the churches in America are dying. Now, what is shocking to me is the church in China is thriving because they're under incredible persecution and incredible government persecution, and they're willing to die for our faith and in America, we can't even people to come out of their comfy, you know, three-bedroom, two-bath houses and to come to church and worship God. And 65% of our churches are in trouble and struggling and dying. And so that's why this term revitalization has come on the lips of a lot of pastors. And it means to quicken, to make churches alive again, as Andrew shared with you, and to bring churches back to life because we know that churches are, are really struggling. And so... And I decided a passage to preach on when I, when I speak to churches on this topic. There are several passages I preach from. And I wanted to preach to you today from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Um, and the reason is, is this is probably my favorite church in the Bible, or at least one of them, because it is what we call the model church. And I know a lot of times that you'll hear pastors, they always say this. They say, you know what we need to do? We need to go back to the Acts chapter 2 church. And that's where everything began. And, and, you know, that's great. And, I mean, the Acts chapter 2 church obviously had an incredible... Would you agree that the Acts chapter 2 church had an incredible impact in the world? By the way, listen, I'm from Wahoo. So um, if I need to come down here so you can all hear me good, I like to, for people to say amen. That's like saying sick them to a dog, to a preacher, okay? So... Let's, let's practice here a little bit. And, and I, in my church, I actually make them say wahoo. You know, I say something, wahoo, okay? But let's try amen. Now, I'm, now to get people to do that, I, I do what I call the Hulk Hogan ear. You ever seen Hulk Hogan? I want to hear you. Okay, so let's try this. Let's say amen. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. All right, that's good. I, I'm, just, I'm just making sure that you're with me. I thought we'd have to get up and do some calisthenics this morning, you know? And um, so, by the way, I wanted to explain the way I'm dressed this morning. I need to do that because I, I asked Andrew, I said, how do you want me to dress? He says, well, how do you dress at Wahoo? 
And I said, normally overalls. No, just kidding. But normally, I mean, because we're out in the country, we're out in the sticks. And I said, well, I wear dress slacks. And I said, I wear untucked shirts. And, and we're just extremely casual. And the reason is, is because we try to become all things to all men at our church. We are in a poor uh, area of the county, as you know, Sumner, we're in Sumner County, but we're on the far side, almost going out towards Floral City. That's where Wahoo is. And it's a community of, of Bushnell, Florida. And when I first came to the church, I came from First Baptist Church of Temple Terrace. I was the executive pastor there for a while. I was a member there for 22 years, worked on staff for eight of those 22 years. That's where God called me into the ministry. I watched that church go from 400, 450 to 1,000 attenders on a Sunday morning. So I saw revitalization before we called it revitalization. So, but when I came out to Wahoo, I was wearing a suit and tie, and I'd walk in the door, and the only two people that were wearing a suit and tie were me and Doc Roselle, because he'd come sit in the back, right? And of course, Doc Roselle, I mean, I think he takes a shower in a suit and tie, but anyway, love him to death, and you all know him, but you know, the people of the church came to me, and they, they literally told me, they said, Pastor, you need to quit wearing that suit and tie, because you're out here in the poor part of the country, and, and nobody has suits and ties out here. The medium income of our area is about twenty-seven dollars to $30,000 uh, a household. So you understand what we're dealing with. We have a lot of people, very poor. Matter of fact, we even started a ministry to reach the community at one time that on a Wednesday uh, afternoon, we would deliver 65, 70 meals throughout the community just to try to help community and, and, and to feed them. And that was obviously before COVID. Now, you know, of course, COVID came along and, and it really changed everything, right? But that's what we try to do. But... But what we want to do is we want to be all things to all men. So that, so listen, if you don't like the way I'm dressed, just blame this guy, right? I'm just saying. Matter of fact, I got him. Brandon, do me a favor. Take that tie off. Come on, take off that tie. Take off that tie. There you go. All right. Relax, man. You're in, you're in the back. Matter of fact, you're a backseat Baptist, so you're good. Take it off, man. Dump it. All right, so when we look at the church in Acts chapter 11, this is the church at Antioch. Matter of fact, here's a great trivia question. Where did Christians first start being called Christians? At Antioch, right? So I want to take a look at this passage of Scripture and see what the model church would look like and what they were doing because this was a church that was alive. They were winning people to Jesus. They were making disciples. Now, before we read the passage, let me explain this. You need to do a little observation to get proper interpretation which feeds out into application. Everybody get that? Those are the three principles of studying the Bible. Observation, interpretation, and application. So let's do a little observation. Before this passage of Scripture came along, I just want to set this up for you because the gospel went to who first? You all know who it went to who first? The Jewish people, right? And, the, and even Paul says that. The gospel goes to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So in chapter 11, we're starting to see that transition. But before this was written, God had to work on the heart of Peter. And Peter, as we might call him, is the main cog in the synagogue, right? I mean, he was the guy that was just running everything. He was sort of like the chief apostle. And, and so uh, they would always go to Peter and he was sort of running things. So what happened is Peter, the Holy Spirit came to Peter and says, listen, I need you to go talk to this Italian over here, okay? And when you go talk to the Italian, by the way, I love Italian. That's my favorite food, I think. I'm, I'm Spanish, half Spanish, but I love Italian food. Everybody, everybody, right? So this is what I believe happened. So Peter goes to bed that night. He has a trance, or he goes into a trance, and the sheet, y'all remember the story, right? The sheet comes out, and it comes out over him, and, 
And Jesus says to him, God says to him, the Holy Spirit says to him. And so, by the way, who talked to him? Jesus, God, or the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes, right? Okay, y'all got that? So, so he speaks to him and he says, listen, you're basically a racist and prejudice. I want you to eat this food. And Peter goes, oh, I'm not touching anything unclean. And I think we had one of our first come-to-Jesus meetings in Scripture. Jesus says, don't you dare call unclean what I call clean. Now, I don't know what was on the sheets, but I have a feeling when it came down, I think it was a rack of Sonny's ribs. <laughs> if he's talking to an Italian, it had to be uh, big meatballs, right? I mean, spaghetti and meatballs. I mean, he probably you know, brought it in from Maggiano's or something. I mean, spaghetti and meatballs, and I'm thinking, that's, uh, that's an Italian. You're getting ready to go talk to an Italian man, Peter, and you're going to share the gospel with him, and don't you call unclean what I've called clean. See, the message to Peter had nothing to do with his dietary habits. It had to do that the gospel had came to you first, and now it's going to the Gentile nation, and what you called unclean, I've made clean, and I'm inviting them to be God's people. Are you not glad? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I'm glad he did it. So this is what was set up as they were coming into the church of Antioch. God was spirit was already starting to move and, and move in this direction. Now we know the apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, so God is now starting to work on him. Isn't it just a coincidence the way all these things come together? I laugh at when people say, you know, that's just a, isn't it just amazing the way all these, these crazy things come together? But God has a plan. It is going to be carried out, and no one is going to stop it. I, I thought I'd get a little better. Okay, let's try that again. God has a plan. It is going to be carried out, and no one's going to stop it. Amen. All right, I'm just saying, I'm just saying if you're, amen. All right. So what's what we see here? And so God is working behind the scenes. So what happens here is we look at this church. It was probably planted by the church of Jerusalem. They started to spread here. And so we come out. So what makes this such an incredible church? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 19. I'm sorry, Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. They're going to put this up on the screen. I'm going to read through this passage. And then I want to point out two or three things that this model church was doing and I feel like the First Baptist Church of Oxford should do. And I'm telling you, Wahoo Baptist Churches, we're trying to do this the best we can. Okay, you all ready to read the passage? Are you all ready to read the passage? Okay, you read me? All right, here we go. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but who? The Jews only, right? But some of them were men from Cyprus, Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year... 
they assembled with the church and taught the great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came to Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, by the way, isn't that a crazy name, stood up and showed uh, by the Spirit that um, that was going to be the great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And when the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to uh, the brethren dwelling in Judea, that they also did, and they sent it uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see several things that this church did. Number one, the first thing that this church did is they evangelized. And I believe this was a worshiping church because if you read through this, every time they did something, they would praise God. Matter of fact, even when, even, even when they would get beat up, which, you know, that was crazy to me. Can you imagine getting beat up and go, wow, I'm glad somebody punched me right in my face for Jesus, you know? And they would praise God. So this was a worshiping church, there's no doubt. Matter of fact, I, I want to just share this with you. I think everything that we do as a Christian should be an act of worship to God. Everything we do, everything that Jesus did was to glorify the Father, right? So if we look at this in that contents, what that means is if I win somebody to Jesus, my evangelism should be an act of worship to God. And by the way, what better thing than to bring another worshiper to worship God, right? My church attendance should be an act of worship to God. The sad thing in our country today is the average church member goes to church 1.79 times a month, which actually the reason they do that because of the 52 weeks a year. So basically twice a month people come to church. One of the reasons I preach expositional preaching, I preach through books, is because I'm only catching some of my church members twice a month. And I've got to go back and catch them up, review a little bit, and then go to the next um, you know, chapter, whatever I'm preaching. So we know that. So we, we struggle with that as pastors, and other, but that's what's happening in our world today. People just aren't coming to church as much as they used to, and so we need to, to try to encourage them to come. So this church, literally, they're trying to get people to come to Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we see them do is they evangelized. Now, notice what we, what we see here in Scripture. It, it tells us uh, that um, they understood the audience and the climate. As you, as you read through those passages of Scripture in verses 19 through 21, what we found out is that they came, and you'll notice that men came from Cyprus and Cyrene and all these areas, and they were sharing the gospel. I need to tell you this morning, for a church to be revitalized, the lifeblood of that is this thing called evangelism. It's sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that you need to do as a church, let's get real practical today, is understand the people in your community and what they need so you can reach them. Uh, I find it quite interesting that our communities, even though we're not really that far apart, are quite different. The medium age in our church is, uh, right now it has dropped to somewhere around 50 years old. And the medium age in, our, in your area here is about 67 years old. The medium income in our area is about twenty-eight dollars to $30,000 a year. The medium income in your area is about sixty. dollars If you went down to Wesley Chapel, it's about $110,000 per household. Do you see the differences? And everybody has certain needs and certain 
things that we need to do. So we, as the Apostle Paul says, need to become all things to all men. We not only need to understand people in the church, we also do things called a psychographic study. Ever heard of that? It's how do people think? You say, well, why do you need that, preacher? Because we need to know how people think so we can respond to them in the proper way. We need to do all that we can to reach people. We need to be all things to all men. So that's one of the things that we do in evangelism. We understand what we're up against. And then I believe we need to also train our people to share the gospel. I'm thinking in churches, we don't do that. Do you know there's a scary statistics? Billy Graham, y'all ever heard of Billy Graham? He's like the Pope of the Baptist. Y'all know who he is? And Billy Graham made a statement. He said 90 to 95% of Christians will never lead one person to Jesus Christ in their lifetime. When I heard that, I thought, man, is that true? That's a staggering statistic. But the problem is, even in pastors and in churches, our job, by the way, is not to win people to Jesus Christ. Our job is to train you to win people to Jesus Christ. Right? And I think there's been on times on Wednesday nights in our church, we have literally stopped and said, okay, we're going to go through and we have done training to help our people share the gospel. I was sharing with Andrew and, and, and the crew yesterday, and I said, you know, here's a cool thing. And in, in our church, I've been at the church, again, this is about 10 years. We've had 180 baptisms in our church over the 10-year period. And so, and that's pretty amazing because in our area, we only have about 2,600 to 3,000 people. You guys got 26,000 people in your area. Wesley Chapel, by the way, has 65,000 people in the area. But we only have about 2,600 to 3,000 people to draw from. So we've been training our people to, we've developed a culture and environment of, of our church members going out. And they get excited. Listen, last week I announced a business meeting and everybody broke out and started applauding. Are you kidding me? I mean, I thought, really, they get excited about everything. But we train our people to share the gospel because it is the lifeblood of our, of our church. Uh, we're getting ready on Palm Sunday to baptize five children. And here's the great thing about that. Last week, we baptized uh, a young lady that came named Abby, came to the church. And the coolest thing about this, out of the, all these six people that have come to Jesus Christ, now, th- this might sound crazy, but I'm praising God that I did not lead them to the Lord. My church members did. Are you with me? I thought I'd get an amen out of that. Right? Thank you. <laughs> because, listen... It is the people that have to get the fire under them to win people to Jesus Christ. And that's why 65% of our churches are dying, because we're not getting out and doing it. So we need to do that. The great thing is you read about this passage, it does not give us the names of the people that were leading the people to Jesus Christ. So when you read the passage, it just said men of Cyrene and Cyprus, right? Bunch of no-name people. But you know the great thing? Jesus knows their name. Right, So the common folks of the church were sharing the gospel and bringing people to Jesus Christ. The next thing we did in verses 22 to 26 that we see that they started making disciples. And so what does it take to make disciples? So a church to revitalize, number one, needs to evangelize. That's the first step in the process, right, of making a disciple. And then after that, we have to train them and, and make them disciples. So What happened when we see this passage of Scripture, when we look at these verses 22 to 26, we see that the Jerusalem church 
told Barnabas to go down there and, hey, something's going on down at that church. Let's go check it out. Go down there. Well, what he was doing, he was holding that church accountable, was he not? Because the Jerusalem church had, you know, had been responsible to help these churches and planting these churches. And so we need to hold people accountable. Matter of fact, accountability is one of the most important things that we find in the discipleship process. We do a ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery. And it's for people with their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups. And we started that ministry last year. And we've just kicked off this year. I try to teach. They asked me to teach at least once a month so I can stay in contact with the people. This past Tuesday night, we had 45 people sitting in our church that are trying to get over their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups and their struggles. Now, the funny thing is most people think a Celebrate Recovery ministry is just for people who are addicted to drugs, but it's not. It is so much more than that. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about preaching a series of sermons, taking the principles and preaching Celebrate Recovery. Because let me, I, I know this is going to be shocking to you, but everybody in this building is dysfunctional. Y'all get that? And that's what the church is. A church needs to be a place where people feel welcome. We might even have to change the things we're doing. We might even have to dress down a little bit. We might have to change our methodology. The only thing that doesn't change is this. We've been changing methodology for churches for years. My brother goes to church one day. He's a pastor at First Baptist Lake Panasoft. He's going in to preach. And an 84-year-old man goes to his church by the name of Carl Register. And I love Carl Register. He's got a heart for people. I literally went to lunch with him and he's just constantly sharing the gospel and crying for people to come to Jesus Christ. But every Sunday, Carl wore a suit, three-piece suit and tie. And so one day, Randy's preaching about the church, how it shouldn't be about our preferences, how we need to really reach all in. And if we're going to invite millennial people into the church, and you realize when, when unchurched people come to church, they don't have a clue. You guys are oddballs to them. They don't know amazing grace, right? They don't know love lifted me. They don't know all these hymns because they haven't been raised. On, I, see, I was going to church nine months before I was born. I know all those hymns, <laughs> right? I mean, I was probably singing them in my mom's stomach. She'd probably, shut up, kid. You know, amazing grace, how sweet, right? Because I was hearing them. I mean, my daddy was a preacher, right? So Carl Register comes in. And Randy's preaching on, not this church is not about your preference. The next day, Carl comes in with just pack, uh, you know, slacks and a shirt. My brother fell on the floor. Gets up, says, Carl, what's the deal? I've never seen you without a suit and tie in the church. Tears started coming to Carl's eyes. He said, Pastor, if this is what I have to do to win people to Jesus Christ, I'll never wear a suit again. Are you with me? And I'm not just saying to down. I'm just saying, folks, we have to become all things to all men. I was preaching one Sunday morning. This big tall guy comes in the back, sits in the back of the church. After service was over, I went back and I welcomed him and said, hey, man, I'm glad you came to our church. This happened about five or six years ago. He goes, you know, he goes, uh, you shocked me. I said, what's that? He said, I was raised a Southern Baptist. He said, I'm a highway patrolman. And he said, I came down here to visit my family. But he goes, I know how you Southern Baptists are. And he goes, when I walked in the back door and I saw, and I was expecting you to be big, belly hanging out, hair slicked back. I said, well, my hair slicked back for what I got. 
And he said, but I looked up there and you were dressed very casual. And he said, I felt comfortable in your church. And your church started to love on me because we've created an environment of loving. You walk in our church, man, I'm telling you, people swarm you because they want to make you feel welcome. And he says, your church shocked me. And I was happy about it. See, we need to be a church that's going to be evangelized. Number two, we need to be a church that is building disciples. We have to train our people how they're supposed to, to act, how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to share Jesus. And literally what we see in this church here, this disciple, Barnabas comes down, he holds them accountable, accountable and then this is the, what Barnabas did. As he saw what was going on in the church, he started to encourage them. He said, this is exciting. Man, listen, you need to be happy. People, when we come to our church at Wahoo, we're happy we're coming to church. For me, the Sunday is the Super Bowl every week. I love preaching the Word of God. I mean, you should be excited about coming to church. But some of us look like we've been, as one pastor told me, we've been look like we've been baptized in a bombing fluid, right? You know, they come in the back door. We had this guy come to church many years ago, and, and, and the pastor, Bill Bells, came to me and says, never ask that guy how he's feeling. I said, why is that, preacher? He said, because that dude's got more problems than Campbell has been. He says, matter of fact, he said, check it out. So I go to, how you doing? Oh, pastor. I can barely make a car payment on my Mercedes. Sell the Mercedes, man. Take a Dave Ramsey course, you know. Get out of debt, you know. I mean, I, I, my back hurts. My wife, she kicked me three times before I came in the door. I said, turn around, let me kick you the four. Right? I mean, just whining always, constantly. See, but man, we need to be excited when we come to church. You're coming to worship God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere God literally speaks and things come into existence. And yet I think our priorities are in the wrong place. We need to evangelize people and bring them to Jesus Christ. We need to make disciples and to share the gospel with them. The third thing we see at the end of that passage is they taught them and they were teaching them how that they were supposed to live. Accountability, encouragement, teaching. That's the aspects of making disciples in our church. That's what we need to be doing. And we need to be doing that at all costs. I have to share this story, and I'm not looking to embarrass anybody from our church, but uh, one day I walk out, and there's three guys standing outside my office door, and I went out and talking to them, and three of my men are standing around. And they're three good men that are always movers and shakers and doing anything I ask. And so one of the guy in the middle, he looks at me one day, and he says, you know, preacher, he said, I went up in the youth area, and then when he starts talking to me, he, he starts bringing, he starts pointing his finger, which, you know, I don't really like people when they start pointing. You ever have that? Or they start poking you in the chest, right? And they see he starts sparking, he starts poking his finger. And I really wanted to remove his finger and stick it in his nose, but I did not do that. And of course, I would have done that in Christian love, right? But he's pointing his finger at me, and he says, you know what? He goes, I was up there in the children's area, and those kids are eating up there in class. Oh, that's the... That's a cardinal sin, right? And they're drinking things, and I even found a hole in the wall. I gotta, I gotta go now. I gotta go down and buy some spackling and hole. She goes, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna tell those kids that they can never eat anything up here again. Well, first of all, you ain't the preacher of the church, pal. You ain't gonna do nothing. 
So I said, let me tell you what I think you need to do. I said, you need to go on a Wednesday night when all those 20-something kids are sitting up there, and why don't you go up there and stand in front of them, and this is what I want you to tell them. I want you all to go straight to hell because your soul is not important as my building. So I said, go tell them that. And guess who was pointing the finger now? You know what his response was? <laughs> now I'm looking at him. And the other two guys are doing this. Oh, yeah. There was a lady that walked out of church. She did this. So I said, go there. Go tell them young kids to go straight to hell because your building is more important than their soul. By the way, when Jesus comes, he's burning all this up. We're sitting in a church that was established in 1903. Our buildings stink anyway. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. What's more important? Your buildings, your pews, your seats. Oh, I'm glad you got seats. I'm, I'm trying to do this, by the way. That's my next project. What, what's more important? Winning people to Jesus and making disciples. The third thing that we see that this church did is they did ministry. If you read the last passage of that, this church was, like I said, came out of the Jerusalem church. Most of the churches, right, came out of Jerusalem. They were planting churches, and, and they're doing their mission work. And this is so cool because this planted church had gotten so big and had gotten so strong. By the way, I love church planting, even though the failure rate in church planting is about 75 to 80%, they're telling us today. But I love church planting. And this church came out, and it had become so big and so strong and so healthy and, and when that the prophet Agabus says there's a great famine coming in the land, so they got together, they collected money, food, and funds, and the Antioch Jerusalem church. Isn't that crazy? You think the people of the Jerusalem churches were, were happy? You know what? I'm sort of happy we planted that church because now they're helping us out. See, we need to be all things to all men. We need to be, meet people where they're at, folks. And I think the crux of all this, this is what it is. You know why churches are dying in our country today? Do we want to know why? It's because you don't love Jesus. One person agreed. Let's try that again. The reason that our churches are dying today is because we really don't love Jesus. See, we say we love Jesus, but we come to church twice a month. We say we love Jesus, but we don't invite anybody to church. We say we love Jesus, but we don't tell anybody about Jesus Christ. We have a world that is dying and go to straight to hell. Have you ever read the newspaper this week? You see what's happening in our country? Do you see what's happening in the world? And the answer is Jesus Christ. And if you really loved him, you'd be telling your neighbor about him. Some of you got family members going to hell and you ain't said nothing to them. Now I'm starting to preach and step on some toes. But you know what? You got to preach the word, right? As he just sang, as Richard just sang to us. See, sometimes we need to feel real uncomfortable. You know, Andrew, I'll tell you, Sunday you want to really shock this? Take every chair out of here. Make them stand. Right? Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't change that much, preacher. But really, we're comfortable, aren't we? We're comfortable. We come in, we set our thermostats at 72 or 3 or whatever. And of course, I know some of you ladies, you set it at 71 because you're having a hot flash. I get that. By the way, I started having hot flashes. What's the deal with that? Anyway, I don't know. I'm not the one to chase that rabbit. But we are real comfortable in our churches, are we not? And yet we don't tell our neighbor and the people all around us that are dying. I don't know if you can tell, but I got a passion to see our churches live again. I got a passion to see people walk the aisle because they're coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I had one man in Zephyr Hills tell me one time, he says, Pastor, people don't get saved like they used to. I said, because we don't tell Jesus like we used to. That's the only reason. We're a bunch of cowards. Billy Graham's right. 90, 95% of the people in our churches aren't telling anybody about Jesus. Matter of fact, G Billy Graham said this so I can say it. Billy Graham says, you know what our preachers need to start doing? Preaching the hell right out of people. Now, if Billy can say it, I can say it. Are you with me? What's your passion, church? Do you want to see the church change? Do you want to see Oxford turned upside down for Jesus Christ? It has to start here. One thing I wanted us to do in Oahu Baptist Church was to make a difference in the community. And I think we have. I think we're reaching out. Are we doing enough? Certainly not. But the desire for every church in America should be to share the gospel, bring people to Jesus Christ, and that would happen if you really love Jesus.